we are continuing today. Actually, we're wrapping up today a series that we've been in for the last several weeks. And it's, it's a series that's a little bit different for us in that it's a series that's been done literally around the world by different covenant churches. Uh, looking at how do we bring more people in, into experiencing God with us. More people coming and experiencing God and growing in their faith. More people discovering who God is and what he means to us and in our lives. How do we introduce more people to Jesus and help them grow? And the series has been based on the acronym B-L-E-S-S, or BLESS. It begins with prayer, praying for specific people in our lives who don't know God, and praying that God would give us the opportunities to see uh, where we could speak into people's lives, where we can introduce them and show them uh, truly who God is and how we can bless them. And then we looked at the need to listen with care in a world that is so full of noise. How do we become a people that are known for truly listening and caring by honoring people by listening to their stories and not simply assuming that we know what they need, but listening to their passions, listening to their pains and being available to care for them. We then looked at my favorite, E, which was eat together, uh, clearly a favorite. And, and basically the idea was how do we become missional eaters? How do we recognize that, that food and somehow the, the act of breaking bread together is, is almost magical. It connects us. In our DNA, we are wired to eat together and, and to grow in community and, and relationship with one another over meals. Last week, Kaylin outlined for us the ways in which Jesus taught us to serve with love, making himself a servant and washing his disciples' feet and demonstrating a radically different way of understanding power and authority and love. And today we end this series with the final S, which is share your story. And this one should be super easy for me. I love telling stories. I love funny stories. I like tragic stories. I love stories. I'm a natural born storyteller. And I tell stories in a way that my kids say often embellishes stories. And that's okay, right? I mean, just a great story that way. Uh, I love to tell stories that make other people want to experience what I've experienced, I'm, I'm kind of a natural evangelist for some things. You know, if I go to a restaurant and I have a positive experience, I want everybody to know about it because their life will be changed if they just eat this pizza. You know, I, the, the funniest example of recent was I went to, the, uh, to Mr. Car Wash on the corner of Hodgson in 96, and I'm not sure how I made it to like 40-some years old and have never experienced a car wash before, but I went in and they had like lights and they had different color soap. And then there were people at the end who wiped down your car with towels. I mean, it was life-changing. And I wanted everyone to know that for 30-something dollars a month, you can go as many times a day as you want through that car wash. <laughs> it was amazing. And I told lots of people about it because that's how I'm wired. That's what I do. I want people to be able to enjoy the experiences that I found enjoyable. So, so why is it that I can so naturally talk about a million things that don't actually matter at all? And yet I find it so difficult to talk about the thing that matters most. To talk about Jesus. To talk about the hope that I have in Christ. I say that the gospel is the greatest news in the world and that it's central to my life. But I think I have to ask, is it really? I mean, I think the things that we talk about, the things that we're passionate about, speak to what's really most important to us. And I think I have to ask the question, what does it mean if I'm never really talking about God in my real life? out there in the real world. Well, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I'm not alone in this. In 2016, uh, Lifeway uh, Publishing published a, a study called Churchgoers Believe in Sharing Faith Most Never Do. 
and it reported that Protestants, in their study, it said 78% have not shared their faith with anyone over the past six months. And, almost, and more than half, 59%, say that they haven't invited anyone to church in that same amount of time. In fact, uh, what's more interesting, I think, is more than 4 in 10 churchgoers, 43%, and these are Protestants broadly, say that they feel they have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. I read another study by Barna Group, and when you looked at just evangelicals, not Protestantism generally, but evangelicals, that number is actually close to 100% of evangelicals say they have a personal responsibility to share their story of Jesus. But then interesting, when they asked how many times they'd shared with somebody how to become a Christian, 78% said zero. The LifeWay study actually measured eight different biblical attributes of spiritual maturity that were evident in the lives of mature Christians. All kinds of things from Bible reading and prayer and church attendance, all these things. And of all eight things, sharing Christ was absolutely last. And I I guess I find that surprising. I mean, given my own discomfort with talking about this publicly, I didn't expect it to be the top of the list, but dead last? I mean, it's at the foundation of what we believe as, as evangelicals. Evangelical means like evangelist. And yet for the majority of Christians, evangelicals they talked to, it was dead last. And see, we might assume that it's because of lack of training or discomfort of personal conversation or fear of rejection. But what's interesting is in that same study, they asked them, and 75% of people actually said that they feel comfortable sharing about their faith. And only 8% feel anxiety about having to have faith conversations. So like 92% of them don't feel any anxiety about doing it. And 75% say they're comfortable doing it, and yet none of them are. There's a disconnect. Barna says that basically there's a, there's a disconnect, a gap between what we say we believe and how we practice that belief. To borrow uh, Caitlin's football analogy from last week, she's always using sports analogies. It's like we're stuck in the huddle. We love talking about the game. We like reviewing the plays, but we never actually get out in the field and do it. And I pushed back on her. I said, I don't think we're even in the huddle. I think we're like in the locker room, reviewing film from last week's game, but never actually getting out on the field at all. Why don't we? I think there's lots of reasons, and you know, we've talked about some of them over the, the course of this series. And I want to look at a couple today of reasons why we don't more openly and, and easily talk about our faith. And then talk about some things that we can do to move that ball forward, continuing the sports analogy. First of all, there's a place to write this in your notes. I think we professionalize evangelism. Somewhere in church history, we have elevated pastors and evangelists and church programs and church institutions to professionally do the evangelism for us. Like if we can just attract enough people to come to our church, then the pastors will take care of it. But the problem is, not only is that not necessarily that effective, but I think it actually is bad for us. I think it stunts our growth as disciples. Sharing our faith, sharing our story, making the gospel known to people in our lives was actually meant to be very central to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, for instance, never said, go build buildings. Jesus never said, go preach sermons or go have a worship band or or do any of those things. He said, go make disciples. And I'm not saying that buildings or sermons or music or programs are bad. I'm saying that all of those things were meant to simply be tools that supported a larger mission, which is making disciples of Jesus. And at some point, we've turned that around, and we've gotten it upside down, 
where the majority of our energy, the majority of our time goes towards those tools. And by and large, we've lost the mission. Like the early church is a great picture to look at for what this was meant to be. What it looked like when Jesus first commissioned them. Michael Green, in his book Evangelism in the Early Church, says it this way. In contrast to the present day, when, Christ, uh, let's see, uh, when Christianity is highly intellectualized and dispensed by professional clergy to a constituency increasingly confined to the middle class, in the early days, the faith was spontaneously spread by informal evangelists and had its greatest appeal among the working class. Evangelism was the prerogative and duty of every church member. Yeah, Peter and Paul and the other apostles certainly did great evangelistic work, but mostly God used people, countless people, who are nameless. We don't know anything about them, and yet it says that they were the ones who went and spread the word, the gospel, the news of Jesus Christ across the entire Roman Empire. And according to the writer of Ephesians, to the early church, that was Christ's plan all along for them. And for us, Ephesians 4 puts it this way. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And we hear those titles, evangelist and pastor and prophet and teacher, and, and we assume that that means sort of like that, that was the professional role. But it wasn't. Most of them weren't paid professionals doing any of that. These are simply people within the community who have been gifted and called to fill these roles, to equip the rest of the church, the congregation, to go out and do the ministry of the church. It wasn't the, the pastor's job or the institution's job or the program's job to, to evangelize. Those were all just tools to equip the church to do the work of evangelism. This week I read a a book called uh, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. I got it from Becca Backman, our outreach director. And I am not Chris. I don't read voraciously like he does. Uh, but I pounded through the whole book this week. It's not that thick. Um, and, and it's a great book. And throughout it, he, he expresses this sentiment. If you're breathing and you know Jesus, you're a missionary. I think it, it's basically that simple. If you're breathing and you know Jesus then you're a missionary, then you have to share that news. And I think the implication perhaps is that if, if you aren't sharing Jesus, you're either not breathing or you don't know Jesus. I think another reason that, that we don't talk about this more openly uh, is that we don't want to offend. I think this is the one I hear most often. It's the one that I feel most often. I, I think that we often, um, you know, one of the reasons I feel comfortable making disciples of pizza places and movies and all these things that don't actually matter that much is that it's socially acceptable to do that, to try to win people over to your restaurant of choice or a book that's been particularly powerful. But in our culture, we think that faith is something that's private. It's not something that, that we can share. It's nobody else's business. I think we think that everyone around us thinks, yeah, believe whatever you want, but I don't want to hear about it. And maybe there's some truth to that. But I think we need to dig a little bit deeper and ask a little bit harder, if the people that are truly part of our lives are more open than we think to hearing our story, hearing where we have found hope and joy in our lives. I spent the day yesterday uh, up in northern Wisconsin at my parents' uh, cabin, and we do this every Memorial Day. The whole family comes up, and basically it's a work weekend. You spend the entire weekend weeding and splitting wood and putting the docks in and putting the boats in and getting sunburned, and it's wonderful. Um, 
And we've been doing it for about 13 years. And for 13 years, we've gotten to know one of our neighbors. He's a, is an old guy named Bob. Uh, and Bob's been divorced for years. He lives down in Chicago. And every Memorial Day weekend, he makes the drive from Chicago with his old dog, Callie. And they come up, and uh, he, he's, a great, he's a great old guy uh, who doesn't know Jesus. And we've gotten to know him over the years, and, and he doesn't have a lot of friends, frankly. Um, and so uh, every year after we've done kind of our work, we go over and we help him put in his boat, and we help him put in his dock and, and kind of get all that stuff going for him. And, and we get all full of chiggers and nettles because he doesn't really mow his... Anyway, uh, it's kind of a pain. <laughs> But he's a great guy, and we know that we're really helping him out. He needs the help, and it's great. And so we did that yesterday. And after we had it all in, my brother and I, my brother-in-law and I, went back to our place, and we're sitting there. And after like 15 minutes, we realize my dad hasn't come back. And 45 minutes, and over an hour later, my dad comes in, and he was just beaming, and he said, "We spent like the last hour and a half talking about faith, and Bob initiated it." And I said, "You know, how how does that even work?" And he said he is getting more frail. And his friends down in Chicago have been saying, Bob, you can't make this drive anymore. You can't go up to this cabin by yourself and have to do all this work by yourself. It's just not even safe. And Bob said, no, let me tell you. I've got these amazing neighbors who for years have been helping me put in my dock and helping me put in my boat. I'm not alone up there. I know that they're there and that they love me and that they're going to invite me over for dinner. They're going to invite me over to bonfires. I'm not alone. And somehow that then naturally just kind of transitioned to faith where he asked my dad, like, why are you guys doing this? No one else does this. And my dad got to share a little bit of our story and a little bit about how we live and why we live the way we do. And Bob said that he and his wife went to church back when they were married, back when they were first married, they went. And for some reason, he didn't even say why, for some reason they they stopped going for a while and nobody even noticed. They didn't get a call. No one checked in on them. They clearly weren't missed, and so they just never went back. Forty years later, they never went back. But this weekend, and over the last 13 years, we have gotten to rewrite Bob's story of what Christians are. That we value him, and cherish him, and love him, and serve him with love. It's taken 13 years, but we're getting there, and my dad got to share with him. And it's funny, my dad had no idea what I was preaching on today. Like, this wasn't just some elaborate. If I had done it, you might suspect that I was just doing this because i got to preach on this tomorrow. And Bob didn't kneel down right there and pray a prayer. But I think he took significant steps forward in understanding faith and understanding the impact it has had on our family's life. He got to see hope. He got to see joy. And he's seen it for 13 years. And we have a whole summer now full of bonfires and pontoon rides where we can continue that conversation. Frankly, I wish we'd, we talked about it sooner. You know, maybe, this, maybe this was God's timing. Like I said, he, he brought it up. Maybe this is just what he needed. People don't want to be beat over the head with Scripture. They don't want us to be jerks about it. But the people that are actually in our lives, the people around us who we know, might be far more open to hearing our story than we think. Are we willing to share it Elvin Reed, again, in this book, says, let's face, let's face it, if you know someone really closely for years and never speak about Jesus, you are speaking about him. You're saying with your lack of words, he's no big deal. You know, you know who does this far more naturally than we adults do? Our kids. <laughs> My six-year-old can tell me everyone in her class who goes to church, who doesn't, 
who believes in God, who doesn't, who's Muslim, who's Catholic, and she has no idea what those words even mean. <laughs> and it's not because she's some freak who goes around, you know, polling all the kids on the playground to find out their faith practices. It's because kids haven't yet learned that this is the one subject we're not allowed to talk about. And so kids talk about it as naturally as they talk about anything else that's in their lives. Just like they talk about what sports they play, what movies they like, they talk about their faith. It just comes naturally because they haven't learned what we have learned, which is that it's inappropriate to talk about that. And I think one of the things we have to learn from that is that it doesn't have to be oppositional. This isn't us against them. Just because people don't necessarily believe all that we believe about who Jesus is and how the earth was created or, or insert your own issue that you might differ with a non-believer about, just because they don't believe that doesn't make them the enemy. In fact, God loves them desperately and wants us to love them desperately as well, to see them the way that he sees them. I think one of the keys is start, start with their worldview. Ask them what they believe. People are surprisingly willing to talk about themselves if we ask. Ask where they find their hope, how they get through their days, how they have faced hard and difficult situations. We all have a worldview, and frankly, there's a whole lot about our worldviews that are probably more in common than you think. For instance, I think most people would agree that the world is full of beauty and wonder and art and music and... Most people would agree that the, art, the, the world is also full of brokenness and pain and people that do horrible things to other people. That's a lot like our worldview, people. That's a whole lot how we understand what God is doing in this world and the reclamation project that he's doing. That's common ground. And if we're willing to take the time to have those conversations and ask those questions, ask people what they believe, and listen to their stories, then we earn the right to share what we believe, to share our story. We have true, good news that we can bring to the lives, the passions and the pains of the people around us, but only if we're willing to listen and have real conversations, not against an enemy, but against a child of God who is desperately loved to find real common ground. Start with the truths they already affirm and then move to the gospel. Alvin Reed again says, I've led more unchurched people to Christ in the last three years, starting with their worldview like this, than I have trying to get them to begin by agreeing with mine. When we focus our conversations on the worldview of those around us, we become less preoccupied with our presentation and more focused on them. We can learn how to naturally help people to see how their personal story relates to God's greater story in scripture we're willing to actually listen for the opportunities we can see all kinds of places where we can tie their story to God's story of what he's doing in this world but I think that also brings us to kind of our next point of why we don't talk about this more often why do we share a story more often I think in part it's because we don't know our God's story that probably sounds strange to a room full of people many of whom have been in faith maybe their whole lives, but I think perhaps that's part of the problem. I think for some of us, at least, this is all so familiar. We've experienced this for so many years and so much of our lives that it has become so familiar that we're not even aware of it anymore. We've lost sight of all that God has done for us and all that God is currently doing for us. We're so busy. We're so full of activities that we never pause. We never reflect. We never take account 
what God is doing in us. I think it starts with knowing our own stories, of telling ourselves our own God story. Yes, you're, you're coming to faith story, but so much more than that. Like, what has God done since then? What is God doing now? What is God calling you into? How does your story intersect with God's story? If we can't do that, how can we possibly help others to see how their story intersects with God's story? Right? Start with knowing your story. Push against, push back against the crisis of communicating the gospel by cultivating your awe of God's story. Recognize recognize God's great mercy in Jesus for you. Increased awe naturally leads to increased sharing. Are we so awed by what God has done in us and is doing in us that we can't not talk about it? Are we even aware of what God has done and and what he's doing? Or has it become so familiar that, that we aren't even aware of it? Again, Alvin Reed says, in order to share Jesus confidently and consistently with others, first share him confidently and consistently with yourself. I was talking this week with Susan Susan Ward, our group life coordinator and director of operations, and we were talking about this. Like, Why don't we share faith more? Why don't we share our story more with other people outside the church? And Susan very astutely said, yeah, we don't do it in church. We don't do this with each other. And don't hear condemnation in that, but I think that's true. I mean, much of the conversation that, that happened between services in the lobby is going to happen after services in the lobby was probably more about your weekend plans and about your baseball and about all these different things that are going on in life than it was about what God is doing in your life. In fact, I think it would be strange, even here at church, if someone walked up and said, how are you doing? What's God doing in your life right now? We'd be like, back off, wacko. <laughs> I think... It's not surprising that we don't talk to others about this if we don't even talk to one another about it. I think learning to share your story with others starts by by making sure that we're actually regularly pausing, looking at our own lives and asking, where is God moving? What is God doing in me? And then sharing that with other believers. It doesn't have to be on Sunday morning at church. I mean, this maybe isn't the right context for that. And it is easier to talk about weekend plans. You don't have to have the conversation at church, but I would say you have to have the conversation somewhere. Where are those conversations happening in your life where you and another believer are just simply talking about what God is doing in your life? We won't share it with people outside the church if we don't share it with people inside the church. This is the greenhouse where we learn to see what God is doing and sharing it with others. But I think that lack of conversation around faith matters, even in the church, points to, I think, a bigger cultural issue that keeps us from sharing our faith sometimes. I think culturally... We are losing conversation. We are losing the art of conversation, not just in the church, but in culture. In an increasingly fast-paced world, we're becoming more and more disconnected from other people. It used to be long evenings spent in conversation has now turned into long work days, followed by an evening of taxiing kids to different sports events, followed by crashing on the couch, turning on the TV, and scrolling through Facebook on our devices. Real face-to-face conversations are being replaced by Snapchat. <laughs> I sound like an old grandpa. By Snap, that thing. Twittering. <laughs> Real face-to-face conversations are being replaced by texting and Snapchat and online gaming. It's so convenient and it's so fun. And so much is potentially lost. None 
of these formats really offer us the opportunity to go to the real places that allow us to speak hope and life into the lives of those around us. And as a result, not only are we becoming less and less able to manage our own lives, but we're less and less able to feel any empathy for the people and their lives around us. Aaron Strazza, the author of Christ in Pop Culture, calls this an empathy crisis. Without face-to-face conversation, she writes, we simply lack the empathy and motivation to share the gospel. Without empathy, our wonder of God's story grows dim. We forget the beauty of rescue and redemption. We don't share the good news. If we're to combat this empathy crisis, we must purposefully, intentionally enter into the lives of others. We must renew our wonder at the gospel of God's coming near in Jesus and how it changes everything. We must seek out meaningful conversations that open space for people to share what's really happening in their lives. Later on, she says, have, have conversations that matter. And I think it's just a great way of thinking. Yes, have conversations about the weather and sports and all those different things, but also have conversations that matter because it's only when we are face-to-face with someone, investing in them, listening to them, honoring them, where these sorts of stories can happen. And if we don't, without those conversations, I think our own experience of God is diminished. I think our own growth as disciples of Jesus is stunted and our own wonder grows dim. But how on earth do we do it? I mean, life is just so full. Do we just quit everything? Do we just stop all the extracurricular activities and just do the bare minimum? Maybe, but that doesn't work in my life, at least. For the longest time, I was opposed to Ian, our oldest son, doing traveling basketball. I had seen all these families around us uh, whose, whose weekends were just completely consumed with traveling basketball, going to all these different places. And you know, it just looked like a ton of money and a ton of time. And I wasn't interested in doing it. And then I had a conversation with uh, my good friend, Michelle Kim. Uh, and she and her family were in the first service this morning. And, and her sons do traveling basketball. And she said, yeah, I spend every weekend at traveling basketball tournaments. I spend every weekend and a half for years with those same families And you wouldn't believe the conversations that I've been able to have on the sidelines and in between games. You wouldn't believe how much I've gotten to know those families. In fact, there's nowhere else in my life where I would be able to go that deep with people over years of time. And for Michelle, I went, and for her family, it went beyond those conversations. She then started a small group in their house, and she's doing a Bible study with some of the other moms that are basketball moms. And she has walked, and she and her family have walked along these, these other families as they've walked through, like, the death of a spouse, as they've gone through these difficult times in life, and as they've gone through, like, prom and fun things. She was able to walk alongside of them through all of those things because for her, basketball was so much more than just about the game. It was basketball And it was about building relationships where people could experience God with her and have those real, sometimes hard, conversations. But if you talk with her, and she actually came up to me after the service, she said, please tell people, in doing this, I got to experience God. In doing this, I had confirmation that God is real and that God is moving and that God is working. In doing this, I got to experience the awe She can tell her story because it's fresh and real and recent. So our family is doing traveling basketball. (laughs) 
And, and as a result, I have gotten to have conversations that I would have never guessed I could have as we sit in between games for these long periods of time. You wouldn't believe the conversations that I've been able to have, real conversations about loss and grief. And each of those has been an opportunity for me to share. This summer, my son, Ben, the nine-year-old, is doing um, kid pitch baseball for the first time. And if any of you have a kid who's done kid pitch baseball for the first time, the games are long because it's just a whole lot of kids throwing bad pitches. So we've had a lot of time sitting out in, out in the field, just watching the kids and talking to other parents. And in the midst of that, it starts off with small talk. It starts off talking about the game or talking about the coach. But then it's gone to other places. Just uh, in the last two weeks, I had a dad who was sitting there, and he had kept on referring to kind of how busy he was in life and how he said a bunch of stuff that had come up. And the more we talked, the more he opened up. And eventually he said, yeah, my mom passed away suddenly a couple weeks ago. Sorry. And she was 67, and we didn't see it coming. And now on top of the grief, we're dealing with having to figure out how to sell our house and how to do all this hassle. And, and my siblings and I are in conflict about it, and they're not helping. And we were able to go to this place that we wouldn't have ever gone if we're not at that baseball game. Uh, and I was able to speak into that, not to right then in that moment say, well, let's pray together and blah, 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 but to say, how can I pray for you? How can we help? How can we support you in this? And in doing that, I genuinely believe we've entered a little bit of our gospel, a little bit of our good news into their story. Instead of thinking about this as somehow having to try to shoehorn the salvation message into conversations in a way that's awkward and uncomfortable for everybody involved, what if instead we listen really well to people's stories, to hear the ways in which redemption and restoration and hope might enter their story? What if wholeness might relate to them? The gospel is good news, not just for some distant future, pie in the sky when you die. The gospel is good news now in this world and in the real passions and pains of the people around us. And we don't have to do it all. I think we don't have to approach this like we're the savior of the world. We aren't. That job was taken. We just have to do our small part of coming alongside the Savior who is at work, the Holy Spirit as who is at work, and simply listen well and then be willing to share our story, our evidence. They can disagree with your doctrine, they can disagree with your beliefs, but they can't disagree with your story. It's yours. And then the Holy Spirit will continue to work. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, in their book, Everyday Church, Gospel Communities on Mission, say it this way. As often as not, our role is to move people one or two steps along the way rather than get them all the way to number 10 in one go. Trust God to take that little morsel of the gospel message that you gave to people and use it as part of his purpose in life. I don't know where Bob is going to end up in his faith journey, but I'm confident that yesterday... He got to hear a little bit of hope, a little bit of the gospel. And I'm confident the Holy Spirit is at work in him, drawing him closer and closer. And the amazing privilege is I get to be a part of that. My family gets to be a part of that. Well, like I said, we are today concluding this series on BLESS and how we're going to do sort of evangelism and outreach as a community, as a church. Um, but we don't, want to dis- we don't want to stop the conversation. This summer, uh, I mentioned this book several times, uh, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. And this summer, on Tuesday mornings, we're going to be doing a book study at our office uh, from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. So you can come be a part of the study and still make it to work or sports or whatever you do in the summer. It's, it's been a great book for me to read, and I would encourage you to, to check that out. There's details 
uh, in your bulletin, and uh, Becca Backman is here, our outreach director. She'd love to talk to you about it as well. The mission that we believe God has given us as a church is more people becoming more like Christ in authentic community. That's like Chris said several weeks ago now. It's a three-legged stool. If you remove any one of those three legs, the whole thing collapses. It has to be more people becoming more like Christ and doing it in an authentic community. We are called, we are created to bring others to experience God with us. And the way that we believe God has called us specifically to engage in that is to begin by praying for the people around us, that we'd be given opportunities and see the opportunities to speak into their lives, to listen well, to serve them with love, to invite them into our homes and into our lives, and when invited, go into their lives for the purpose of building real relationships, authentic community, and bringing our experience of God into their experience of life, serving them with love and sharing our story, our experience of God with them. That's our mission. That's where we're going. Let me invite you to join us in it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you um, for what you are doing, the way that you are speaking into us and shaping us. God, we thank you for the amazing gospel that, that you, in fact, have a plan for this world that is broken, and you've included us in that plan. God, for the ways in which we've allowed our lives to become so full that, that you are just part of the white noise of life, God, we repent. God, help us to do the work that we need to do to somehow spend the time to reflect on who you are and what you've done, the amazing gift that you demonstrated to us, that you've given us. God, make us aware of, of your story in us, that we might be able to know that story and to celebrate that story and experience awe in relation to that story. And then share your story, share our story with the people in our lives, the people who desperately need to know you, who desperately need the hope, the peace, the joy, the restoration and wholeness that you promise. Use us we pray, God, give us the opportunity to share our story. Give us the wisdom to see it. And give us the boldness to take it. In the name of Jesus.